Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. And we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes, episode number 59, the Leviathan just rolls on. Andy Marr alongside Mark Hayes here again, hello Hayes. Hello Murray. Oh, yes, I know. Have We're you got the, like the, the rubber... Uniform oh. on and the you know the protective headgear because there's going to be things flying around here. I reckon uh, we haven't got enough security for this episode. <laughs> this could be a cage match WWE <laughs> style. We, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, we've got we, it's, the clash of the cultures is what we're going to call. It's going to happen in the second second of the show. Sue Wooster is going to join us. So stick around and have a listen to her. We'll introduce Lucas Herbert in a moment. But sitting alongside him is Mike Clayton. Very dangerous. The fireworks are already sparking as we speak. <laughs> Come on, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Hello Clayton. Nice to be here. And... <laughs> it's lovely to see you. Yeah. And of course, you, Lucas, love you've just got off the plane, so yeah. we're very lucky to have you. Thanks for making an effort to come in and have a chat. Thank you. Even my thumbs are always ready to, ready to tweet, Clates. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is where from, it all started. Denmark, all the way from Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, knew, he heard that you were on as co-host. He, he flew back. He flew back. <laughs> going back to Holland next week to play. <laughs> Maybe even tomorrow where you might go coach, back. Where is the KLM? Where are they playing this week? Uh, Amsterdam next week. They've got which course? Um, oh, that's that silly course with the ponds and lakes. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't tell you the course. They're playing uh, Grand Montana this week. Mega European. Okay, right. The Swiss Open. Where were they last week? The Denmark course. Denmark. They played a new oh, one. Well, Thomas Bjorn's course. Silkeborg Rye Golf Course. Oh, you played there. Well, what hole was it? Where they had that dirty big fir tree in the middle of the fairway. What a stupid hole that is. The par doesn't, four doesn't narrow it down. There was a few. Was um, it the trees in the middle of fairways? <laughs> All I remember is every hole needed a fade. And uh, if you've seen me play golf, yeah, well, I've good. seen you play that's golf. <laughs> trees in the middle of fairways. Whoever thinks that's a good idea, like right bang in the middle of a fairway, like as an actual hazard. That you're supposed to hit the ball 260 meters or yards to yeah. hit it left or right of it. It's a stupid. Yeah, idea. Hard to make work. Ridiculous. I do about the Eisenhower Japan's tree. Japan's kind of the land of the tree in the middle of the fairway, isn't it? Really. Japan. What about the Eisenhower tree? Any? That wasn't in the middle of the fairway. It was just sort of tucked over. No, the no, it was kind of a of fairway. Yeah. Yeah. It affected a lot of drives. Yeah. It was a lot yeah. bigger when it was. So anyway, down than when it was when they planted it. You two are being mm. very nice to one another now, but when you're a thousand miles away from one another, yeah, you generally right. <laughs> you generally push each other's buttons on Twitter. So we're going to put in the second seg today, <laughs> two or three or four or five, whatever however number that settle on, of the kind of issues that you two are strictly divided on, oh. and we'll and we'll have the we'll have the your voices can supplant your your fingers, fingers. and your thumbs. Oh, okay. We'll have a conversation about some of the issues that are. And you, you, you and I can uh, depart the studio for 20 minutes and come back and pick up the pieces. So, uh, extraordinary week um, over in America in the uh, in Boston. Second week of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Bryson DeChambeau uh, goes back-to-back in the playoffs. Um, 
He, he's he's on some sort of a he's on some sort of a streak at the moment. Remember when he didn't shake uh, was it, it McAvoy's yeah, Richard, 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 Richard McAvoy when he didn't shake McAvoy's hand and we all thought he was you know heading for a an institution you know <laughs> yes. he didn't look good at all. And lo and behold, two weeks later he's he's the hottest player on the planet and he you know we've said that a few times this year about people but he's you know heavily ensconced in the top ten in the world. He's guaranteed number one. Uh, start ticket for the uh, Tour Championship in a couple of weeks in Eastlake. Um, two in a row. It, it's an extraordinary thing. And he, and really, he's done them both pretty handily. Pretty comfortable. Yeah. So he, when missed it, the, uh, he missed the Ryder Cup automatic qualifying too, didn't he? Just by one spot? Yeah, I, I think, think you're right. You're right, yeah. So it's probably yeah. a fairly good way to impress upon the, uh, the captain there that you're worth a pick. So do you two, <laughs> when do people start copying him? When, when is the DeChambeau way of playing golf? When is it going to... Well, it's only a matter of time. We, it, it, sport is full of copycats. When are we going to get people coming through the ranks, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids playing like him? Well, I, obviously, I played a practice round with him at the, uh, the British Open. Well, the Open, sorry. Sorry, Clades. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and for how scientific everyone says he is and claims he is, it wasn't as scientific as I thought. There's a, you know, There's a few aspects in there that are quite... Just measured by numbers, I would say. Um, you know, some odd luck. He was holding up a towel to shelter the wind to work out how much slope was the ball was going to sort of rest on, like b- before it would it would roll off. Not that I have, I would be able to do anything with that information. But like, <laughs> right. you know, it looked quite scientific at the time. Um, but sort of listened to him talk through how he was going to hit shots, and it wasn't anything ridiculous. Yeah, right. Um, it was know, bizarre today. He's he's what turned out to be what he's fourth. Third last shot. His fourth last shot on the 18th hole in Boston. He he said to his caddy, "How far do I hit a nine iron?" You know, just trying to organise yeah. a layup number, and that's anything but scientific to me. I mean, he must know his nine iron goes one forty three or whatever it is. Yeah, it's bizarre. I I think there's really some inconsistencies, like exactly what Lucas just said. Some things are really full on, and then we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He was throwing stuff around the um. Throwing the toys out of the cot. Yeah, throwing the toys out of the cot at Canusti. Oh, that was him. That was bizarre. Oh, yeah, on the range. Yeah, on the range. Crazy yeah, stuff. Like, yeah, what are you doing? He's yeah. walking away on his own, getting away from the entourage, and he's having conversations with the several voices in his head. Oh, he was all over the to job. Sort of, to, to, to back him up there, I, I sort of probably did the same thing that week, I think, <laughs> okay, but right. I just didn't get on camera. <laughs> I saw it. So, Clay, so will we see, honestly, a serious question, mm. will we see people, will this become a thing? Like, will we see people trying to replicate what what he's doing. Well, he's a modern-day Bobby Clampett, really. Remember Bobby Clampett? Yeah, Fantastic yeah. player. Was he, was, was he, was he a, a tinkerer? He was the best amateur in America yep. in the era of Couples and Clampett and Sutton and Cook and those guys. He he was a golf machine guy. He, he came out, um, not not Homer Kelly, but Ben Doyle taught him. It was a Homer Kelly disciple who wrote the golf machine, which is what he works on, right? DeChambeau's a gold machine guy, isn't he? Oh, I think. I don't know what he's on to so, this week. Clampett was a he was had a very, you know, he had twenty four kind of components to his swing and he was and he was a fantastic he was gonna be the next American superstar. He was third in the US Open in eighty two and led the open at Troon by seven shots after two days or something. And two years later he'd lost his card, three years later. He was so yeah. he was a he was a very scientific, kind of organized mechanical, scientific, methodically, you know, mathematical player who just went away but he was a brilliant player 
So the question is, is he another Clampett? Or like, is, is he, this going to happen? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, the, you know the, the, there's the artist and there's the scientist. And, the, mm. and, the, and players play Lucas, you're probably more of an artist than a, than a DeChambeau type, very mechanical. Yeah. And there are two sorts of players. For you. So if you kind of, you know, it's no good artist trying to be scientist and it's no good scientist trying to be artist either. Really. But, but he would argue he was a scientific artist, I think, wouldn't he? Isn't that what he would say? Probably. In, that sounds about in, right. Yeah. yeah. I think I, everyone everyone claims to be artistic and feel and oh, I don't work technique, but I've like I've seen guys on the range in, in recent weeks just going through all sorts of swing rebuilds and then turn around and tell me that they're oh no I just I'm all about feel I don't work technique and I'm like that's a lie because I've just <laughs> seen just seen what you've gone through. Um, I think the hard thing with guys like that is when they do go off the boiler, um, it's it's they tend to think more about it and they tend to get more scientific and that can end up kind of causing problems mm. whereas the real artists almost have that knack of they have a bad result and they're like they'll they'll find any sort of read oh there was too many tees in my golf bag pocket that was oh, i couldn't play well with that happening and they'll <laughs> and that'll be their reason for why they played badly and they'll come back and, and play well the next week whereas um and it sort of almost comes back to that saying you've either got to be really really dumb or really smart to play golf there's sort of no in between um and I don't know. I hear that. I'm not sure if that's true or not. It'd be interesting to write a proper PhD on it. Yeah. I think Andy... I mean, went, yeah, they've been mediumly... In, I mean, Nick Price was neither brilliant nor stupid. He was just a normal... Average guy. Yeah, he would have gone to done his HSC and got an A and a couple of Bs and a C. And <laughs> right. He was the best player in the world. <laughs> but Sandy Lyle was, you know, he was, you know, not the sharpest tool in the shed, but what a player he was. You know, he was incredible. I think when your body gets to a certain age and stage, it's going to be impossible for him to, you know, continue to swing exactly as he does. Whether he can adjust it, you know, that's true for every person yeah, cool. on the planet. Yeah, of course. He won't be able to take a club back far enough. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, Clates is obviously the the disciple of Seve Ballesteros. Um, well, there was you know, an artist there, who tried well, to get mechanical in the end a little bit. Yeah. The art, but you can't imagine Bryson DeChambeau hitting the escape shots that Seve Ballesteros once hit. You just you just can't no conceive could. how he could possibly shape yeah. those shots with the yeah. with the length sticks, let alone his mechanics. Yeah, but you could argue that given his mechanics, he's never going to hit it in the places Seve hit it into. So he doesn't need to hit those shots out of the trees. But that's the fallback. That's true. But that's the yeah. fallback of science because he still hit. He still misses fairways. He's yeah. not an. He's not a fourteen of eighteen guy. And he's not. I assume he's not guy. the number one or in greens and regulations. I'm sure is he? No, not even close. Yeah. So you'd like to know what he's like the ultimate metrics by which he judges what his thing is doing. Like what are what are the measurements that he uses to validate what he does? Is it? Probably looks at the main list. It probably does. <laughs> nice. I mean, he's probably <laughs> he's last, sitting pretty nice. Last there. fortnight looks all right. Looks he made it. How much? It, what is it, how much do you get for winning those things? A million? Well, oh, oh, one point eight-ish. Yeah, one point eight. That much? Yeah, crazy. No, but see, amazing. if you know, um, you know, some sort of debilitating flu goes through the clubhouse, and and Bryson and Lucas are up there teeing up the next day with a bit of you know oh, a muscle ache and a bit of cramp. I'm back in Herbie every day because he'll find something to. To fix his swing, mm. I'll do that every day now. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know that's that's to me the downside of if he's feeling good and everything's in its place, you know, fulcrum, yeah, all that yeah, sort yeah, of stuff, yeah, yeah. then you know he should be fine. But the minute something goes wrong, I'm not sure it'll um, be rectifiable in a hurry anyhow, and that'll limit how many people can take it up. I mean, 
I never, I've never swung the same way twice in 10,000 swings, Andy, so <laughs> I think it's hard for the average player to sort of adjust to that. Yeah, yeah. So form, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see whether he does spawn, you know, a generation of, you know, Duchambeau-ites. We'll wait and see whether that actually comes to pass. Well, we're still... Disciples of Hogan. There were, there were disciples of great players long gone who were, yeah. were still trying to play like Ben Hogan. And mm. you know, the golf machine was a, went out of favour when Clambert played badly, but it wasn't a. You know, it shows how and the stack and tilt guys. I mean, it shows how reliant a method is on the players who employ it playing well. And if they don't play any good, then the method goes down the drain too. So the golf machine was a massive thing in that late 70s and early 80s that Clampett was using it and playing incredible golf. Okay. And yeah, right. Then when he started playing badly, everyone threw the book in the bin, which didn't <laughs> mean it was a bad book. It just meant that... And now it's back because... Yeah. You know, the... Yep. DeChambeau's kind of... BDC. Let's of go with BDC. It's far easier. Yeah, exactly. So form's holding through the playoffs at the moment. If, you're getting, if you are interested in the playoffs as a concept, one of the interesting things is that the form line through BDC... And Finau and our bloke mm. is running strong. Like Cam Smith has gone eight. What did he finished third? He finished, uh, in Boston. Where yeah, was it? He's finished two. He's third twice. Two weeks in a row. Has he made a couple of million in two weeks? Oh, of course he would. He's he'd, well uh, and truly close to. He'd be on the one and a half around. Yeah, line. yeah. yeah. US, so yeah, probably two he's million. Australian. Australian. He doesn't look old enough to have that much money, does he? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Well, he's he's time, time ticks. He's actually twenty-five. You know, yeah. he's he's next generation. Up from you, isn't he? I mean, that's the same, but you know what I mean. Like he's, yeah, he, he was, was ahead of you. Just, just finishing the junior stuff as I was kind of just starting to play most of it. Yeah, so yeah, that's the. Generation. We should set him up at the Australian Open to do the Craig Parry thing. We'll go up with a pair of thongs and a t-shirt to the real estate agent in Double Bay and be laughed at by the real by, yeah, by the real estate agent. <laughs> you can't afford anything in here, mate. Oh, is that right? Is it? <laughs> he, uh, he, he. I oh, look. I know you guys know him really well. He the one thing he's has reminded because he went through a pretty ordinary little sort of run yep. leading into the end of the U.S. season, but he's reminded everybody that when he gets his teeth into a tournament, he doesn't let go. Like he is, he makes he's gonna you're not gonna win every time he gets in contention, obviously. But and he made the blue on eighteen this morning, but he um he can step up. He doesn't. It, it takes a pretty stiff breeze to. Knock him over when uh, when things are the, uh, the are tougher cracking. it gets, the better he'll go. Yeah, it's, it's like what we were talking about with Curtis Luck last week. So, um, I'd like to think there's someone else here who will probably fall into that category. Well, you're a bit day, like so. that, you know. Yeah. You're not afraid of getting in contention, are you? You seem to enjoy the moment a bit. Well, to get back on Cam, I know he's uh, speaking with Grant Field, his coach. Um, Grant basically just says when he needs to play well, he plays well every time. Um, mm. You know, there's a couple. Of, I think. Maybe two years ago, first year out, he got his PJ Tour card, playing average, and had to go back to web finals. So, you know, if he doesn't finish in, was it the top 25, 25 from there, he's got to be back. He's back at Q School. And um, his manager sort of sends the text of, hey, mate, do you, do you want me to enter you in, in Q School? He goes, nah, don't worry about it. I'll sort it out. Fourth, third, the next two weeks, and yeah. he's back. He's got his tour card again. You know, it's, so I think the frustrating thing for Grant is trying to get him to feel like he has to play well every week because yeah. that's when he seems to get the best out of him. And um, The Australian Kepka. Yeah. And, um, that's right. I think um, if you... I, I don't know that I'm playing in the calibre of events he's playing in, but there's definitely an element of... Um, you know, some guys that big tournaments come around and they 
seem to shy away from you know playing well. They're, it's almost like they get a chance to get up near the leaderboard and just it's like they don't have that urgency to convert those you know fifteen footers for birdie to really get himself in the hunt. And um, you know I'd like to think that I'm I'm probably one of those guys that you know really tries to make those putts and get myself in for a look and get my scone on TV to the. You know, because I'm playing well. Um, and, yeah, Cam seems to be doing a pretty good job of that. It's a skill in it. Like it's, well, it's... Who's, who's the most anonymous $40 million winner on the US Tour? He must have won $40 million. There's one bloke who's, like, phenomenally anonymous. Who's just uh, an incredible Charles career. Howe. Charles I was going to say, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 80, 86 top 10s, did I read? One, With one incredible. win. Great technique. Yeah. You know, just... Uh, I've never asked him what the... I don't even know him, but uh. it's an amazing career for how much money he's made. There'd be a lot of multi-millionaire American golfers, wouldn't there? In the last 10 or 15 years, there'd probably be, I'm going to just say 30 or 40 guys, maybe even more, who, honestly, they could stand up in your porridge and you wouldn't, you'd have to be a pretty hardcore golf fan to know. The scary thing is too that they're making twice as much in endorsement deals. We see what they're making on course and then... Even these guys. Yeah, we don't see what they're making you know, from the club companies or from whatever apparel company wants to put clothes on their back. Yeah, right. And that's, you know, that's the stuff that they're really, that they're banking. Like, they don't even, of course they're, you want, they're not even worried about the tournament checks half the time. Of course you want Charlie Hoffman wearing your clothes. Who wouldn't? Charlie Hoffman. <laughs> no? Charlie who, Hoffman, yeah. Who wouldn't you, you want him wearing anything, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I see I'm him wearing something, got, I'm never buying it. Like it's I'm just glad he's got something on. That's <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> so, that, it's a, have you been over the... Colin Kaepernick controversy. On oh, Twitter I love today. it. I love what. I love I mean, what there are Nike some guys I'm never going. You know, one guy burned all his Nike stuff in a oh. barbecue, and other blokes are saying this is the greatest thing ever. Wow, that's split America. Don't it? you love? I mean, we're going to go if we we go down a real wormhole here and yeah, have a yeah, forty-five minute there, conversation. But, yeah. but I love what they've done, and good on them. Oh, for, yeah. You know, to, but I mean, all, all the right-wing pro golfers. Oh are there. god. Oh. oh yeah. Oh yeah. The good old boys. <laughs> the good old boys. Oh, they'll be up in arms about this. And there's a lot of them too, I reckon. Um, so he's one. We're into the third of the four. We got four. Will be playing in the third leg. Yes, that's, that's right. right. So yeah. Scotty, Leash, Day, and Smith in ascending order. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So Day's gone. Oh, Smithy's gone past Day now. So Smith's at, Smith's at ten, and Lee and um, no, Smith's at eight. eight, and Day's at ten. ten. Yeah. Yep. Leishman, 22. Scott, 48. Yeah. Uh, it's important we mention Tiger because without Tiger, there is nothing. Uh, he's 25th um, <laughs> and looks like he will get inside the 30. Yeah, I mean, do you understand? I mean, you're, you're, you're born in the... Tiger is still the epicenter of the golfing world, right? Mm-hmm. No question about it. He, he is the kind of... He doesn't move the needle. He is the needle, right? That's still... When you're out there and you're competing against him, it still feels like that. It feels like the everything revolves around Woods. It feels still feels that way. I've only played two events where he's been playing, um, but definitely in those two events, you can tell where the guy is on the course because yeah. there's about 20 people deep following that one hole and then the two holes in front of that to, to get a look at him. Yeah, um, yeah it was pretty... He, yeah, like you said, he is the needle. Um, you just look at all the figures from from golf rating or from television ratings this year at tournaments that he's played well at. Played well at. Um, like there's a there's a Twitter account linked to you know just just following him, and they're going to give you they give you updates of like oh he's got a black sweater on today. You know this is a good this is a good omen. Like <laughs> it's 
absolutely <laughs> like tiger par- like i don't know tiger mania yeah. it's it's ridiculous how much people love him but uh, he's almost yeah he's got that kind of that aura about him that makes people want to follow him i just found the um nbc motto andy i didn't realize until you said that without tiger there is nothing but surely nbc's motto is now in latin because you know that's what we do mm-hmm. tigris nihil sine are you serious? That's without Tiger, there is nothing. <laughs> so that you expect to see that on NBC translations from now on. It, it, it'd be nice. It's if, embarrassing to watch that coverage. I, no, right? it is, and we're still really before is. we get off Cam Smith no. in the playoffs today. Unbelievably, the commentator said when he was on the 16th, having just birdied the 15th, we haven't seen much of Cameron Smith today. Oh. It's because your moron producer hasn't put him on, <laughs> even though he's writing contention because he's been too busy watching Tiger shoot a 71 in the right. middle of the field. Yep. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, sadly, that's the American public want to see Tiger shoot 71, though. Yeah. That's, that's the, I don't know, the sadness of it. Tigris no, Nihil re- Cine. Just remember <laughs> that, Andy. Oh, that's a reality, you know. But, um, yeah, no, it is. Um, the next level down is proving pretty interesting, isn't it? Matt Jones has found some form on the uh, in the web finals. Cam Davis is just... Yeah. He's just doing everything right. We lauded Cam last week and Curtis, but you know, full credit to Matt Jones. Yeah, I mean, yep. he's um, he's come on really strong at the right time of the year for him after a tough one. Um, a great finish, second in Cleveland, and he's now third overall in that top 25 race for the finals. Uh, and he's got his card. So two weeks in, we've got two Aussies with cards already. Curtis Luck remains tied 12th. So Jones is third overall. Mm. Cam Davis is fifth. Curtis Luck is 12th. And Aaron Baddeley's clinging on there at 23rd. Um, so we're in good shape. And Curtis, I don't think, needs too much more to happen to, you know, shore up his card as well. How many more events in that playoff season? Is it- so there's a week off this week. Yep. And then there's two to go. Yep. Um, and, the, the, and the top 25 get their card. Top yeah. 25. Yep. Yeah. So Curtis is right on the cusp there. He probably needs $5,000 more to make sure. Yeah. Uh, he's currently at 33 and a bit thousand dollars US. Interesting one there, Andy. And I, I, I keep saying this, and I don't want to interrupt him in the middle of the finals, but I will get him on is Cam Percy. Yeah. Uh, he had a stinking year on yep. the web.com tour. Shocker. I'll bet you'd say that. But every time he's gone up to the big tour, he's done really well. Mm. And, you know, he's he's making good fist of his um, playoffs so far. He's 40th. but he's, no, got he's a, not he's, out of the hunt. Not out of the hunt no, at all. No. But he's got to just find the way to get that fourth round in the camp. That's the thing, isn't it? You um, know, yeah. if it was a 54-hole game, there'd be a lot of guys who make a whole lot more money than they do if it, as opposed to yeah. playing... Well, Four they, rounds. Well, they'd just get nervous on Saturday. So Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. I thought it's exactly that. So, Rian Gibson, Andy, just wrapping them up. Rian Gibson's uh, tied all oh, 55th, and, and Brett Druitt's 66th. And unfortunately, Appleby and Sendon haven't struck a blow just at the minute. No, no. So, what's Sendon up to? Is he Does he have any medical exemption he, left? He or, does. Or uh, family uh, compassion leave or whatever they call it? I, I would expect to see him going hard in the, what do they call it? The fall, yeah, fall, fall series. Yeah. So, he's exempt into those? Yeah, he's got a handful more tournaments. I'm not sure of the exact number, but he's still got a handful of tournaments to make up the FedEx Cup points from before Jacob was sick. Mm-hmm. So he's he's got a fair bit of work to do, but he has got tournaments in hand. Because he was one of very few guys, or maybe five guys, who made the top 125 for like 12 or 13 years in mm-hmm. a row. Mm-hmm. Phil missed it one year. So good to see no, him Phil, back out. You know, there, there were so mm. few guys. He was he was one of them. Mm. His career earnings are yeah. a joke. Like he's won twenty eight million bucks or something in America. So it's good, some ridiculous. So number. good to see him back out there. Yeah. Sendo's one of the nicest people I've I've yeah. met out here. So I'm so happy to see him out. Obviously, must mean Jacob's doing quite a lot better. So mm. 
So how much, how regularly are you looking at your numbers? In we'll talk about what happened in Europe and with, on the LPGA in a moment. But we're talking a lot about where guys are sitting in the pecking order and things. How much time do you take, Lucas Herbert, sort of checking where you sit in the scheme of things at the moment? Um, <clears throat> a lot. It's mm. quite a stressful time. Um, just trying to work out how much guys are moving week to week. How much how much room have I got between the guy that's two behind me, four behind me, ten behind me? How much more do I need to make? What event? Per, what's the event purse is coming up? What's what's my likelihood of you know if I finish in the top twenty here? What am I? It's endless calculations um, are going on just about daily with me. So mm. um, that's. It's almost I'm I'm kind of used to it nearly yeah. at the moment though because I spent the whole year stressed so <laughs> it's sort of one of those um it's one of those things where it's it's super stressful right now but I'm not laughing because I'm laughing because it's kind of yeah. the way we're talking about it now. it's um yeah I, like spoke to Jamie about it last week was kind of I, I think I played seven seven tournaments in eight weeks finishing up last week in Denmark and I I got the second last tee time on greens that I I didn't particularly love. Um, and yeah, basically had a, uh, had a lovely meltdown walking around around the, in the first round and didn't give myself much of a good chance to play well. Um, and yeah, I think most of that was pretty much built up by the stress of like, I've got this many invites left or this many mm. tournaments left and I've got to make this much money. And that means that I've got to make this cut here and this cut here. And, um, yeah, it's, and it's silly really because I'll, Pretty, I'll probably play 20 events in Europe next year regardless of whether I get this card or not. Uh, you know, based off the exemptions... The exe- like, if I don't make a dollar for the rest of the year in, in Europe, I'll still have a category that'll get me into some of the smaller events next year. Um, obviously, if I finish inside the 110, I'll, um, I'll be able to play the, the bigger Rolex series events and uh, give myself a much better chance of playing in the majors um, and be able to really structure a schedule a lot better. Um, but... Yeah, it's sort of I'm I'm kind of stressing over something that's probably doesn't need to be stressed about as mm. much, but still managed to find a way to uh, to do it to myself. <laughs> it's a tough game, Andy. Oh mate, it's going oh, around. It's done nothing to me. I remember I came home top sixty in Europe, and I came. It was an old score I built, and I was fifty fourth. I said, "Is that enough money, Bill?" It was eleven thousand three hundred and sixty five pounds. I was 54th on my list. And he said, yeah, that's enough. You'll be top 60 next year. No problem. It was my first year there. And we went to the pub and I was 57th with a week to go. So I'd come home. And they were playing the Portuguese Open, second oh, last tournament no. of the year. And they bought the Herald in. That was when they had a Herald. Yeah, yeah, we were in, the, yeah. we're in the, the pub in Burke Road there. What's it called? The Palace, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grades and Irons. <laughs> oh, my God. Top and, of the hill. And the, yeah. the Herald boy came in. So we opened the Herald up. 58. 59, 60, and 61 all finished in the top 10. Oh. And Chris Moody, who was 80th, finished second. <laughs> so Peter Teravone, who was 61st, finished ninth and didn't get into the top 60. And I was 62nd, which was back to pre-qualifying the whole of the next year. Oh, no way. Which was fine, but as it turned out. but When did you see Bill next? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Bill was such a nice bloke, you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was the nicest bloke ever. Oh. Bill Hodge, what a legend he was. He, he must have died long ago. He was a great bloke. He scored every week in Europe. He was the nicest guy. Yeah. Impossibly nice. But the moral of the story is what? Yeah. So the moral of the story is it's been going around forever. Yeah. Guys yeah. have been. Remember when 
Brad Hughes lost his card in America by a hundred bucks or something. Yeah, he, he finished one twenty six by a hundred bucks. Yeah, I remember that. Zach Blair last year missed the top one twenty five by what one FedEx Cup point or some ridiculously small yeah. one shot somewhere. Yeah, yeah it was a putt on the eighteenth green somewhere in the yeah. in the last week. Yeah, but you know, the, but, you but know, the, Lucas's future isn't going to end if he's one and no. ten or one eleven. Yeah, yeah. it's no. it's super hard too because you look at like I look at back at the Open, and I've. I've hit it to like six feet on 16, missed it, hit it, I hit one way left on 17, made bogey, and then made double up 18. So I felt like I cost myself four shots there in the final three holes, which probably... Well, even two shots would make the difference. Yeah. yeah part it, of the last. Yeah. yeah. I mean, four shots four shots there probably was 20,000 race to the buy points. And like right now, you'd love them up your sleeve. Yeah. And it's so easy if you get to the end of the season and you know miss your card by 5,000, you'd be like, oh, you've only had to play those holes better. But... I think at the same time you kind of got to try and think about it in a, in a different way that like well I wouldn't have even got that close if I hadn't played the last seven holes in Sweden at five under or whatever I did or yeah. the only constellation is everyone else is just as stressed as you are yeah. <laughs> there you go you're yeah, not yeah, the yeah. only one yeah 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 in fact so, there are probably blokes who are probably 35 years old whose careers are going to finish if they don't mate you're fine you'll just yeah. you'll play well next they got year, a wife and that. kids and I'm, yeah. I'm just out yeah. here on my own yeah. so everyone else is just as stressed as everyone else is out there. So the stress levels were ease for Torbjorn Olsson, who, by virtue of his Finnish security spot in the Ryder Cup, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, despite a good effort, couldn't get in automatic. So we'll wait and see what happens there with captain selections. The bloke who won that event, the Englishman, he's um he's a I think they call him a comer. Yeah, he's a comer. He's only been playing at this level for a short period of time, Matt Wallace, but. He um he's got a habit of winning tournaments. This bloke three's a lot. Three this year, and you know him a little bit. Yes, yeah, so I um, shared a flight with him from the US Open to the BMW, um, and seen him around at, at plenty of tournaments and and watched him play. And yeah, he's really good player. Uh, he's got Dave McNeely caddying, who's really? um, okay for Nick Price. Yeah, he was caddying before I was playing. And Feldo, wow. he's a hundred. Okay for he's a hundred. Dave, McNeely. no, <laughs> he's not a hundred, but he must be he's, sixty. He must be almost seventy. Don't he? Sixty-five. He's got older than me. Him, him and Fluff would have to be holding up that end of yeah. the tour. Mm. He's um, a great caddy. Yeah, really like good experience caddy. Um, sort of a half sort of eavesdropped on a conversation they had in the locker room actually last week, and just listening to the way they went about things was impressive. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, he said in his winner's speech, like, that's just kind of who he is, like a real grinding determination kind of guy. Like, he sort of struggled on that front nine Sunday um, and then came back around the turn, made some birdies there, and then I think he parred 11, which is a pretty easy par five, and then bogeyed 12, which is like, you'd nearly knock three on on the green there with par four. Um, and you sort of, that's so kind of two times where you're going like, oh, well, he's done. And then he's come back and, and birdied. He's held like a 40-footer up the tier on 13 for birdie. Um, birdied 16, 17, 18, which are tough finishing. Like, it wasn't an easy finish around there, mm. I thought, anyway. Um, and then birdied the two playoff holes where you've sort of got... Better work. I yeah, think, okay, he, I think right, you yeah. would have had 9-iron or 8-iron into the green there. So, um, yeah, impressive player. Um, coached by Robert Rock. So, obviously a big fan the of thatch. mine. <laughs> obviously, obviously a big fan of mine, uh, Robbie. And um, is there a story yeah, there? What's going on, mate? He's just my, he's my favourite European tour player. Rob Rock, probably favourite favourite player in the world. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to declare oh, something here that I've never told anyone. I tried to start a um, like an alternate Twitter 
um, identity. Robert Rock's hair. Robert Rock's hair. That was me. That was me. And it got a little bit of traction early, but then I just couldn't be bothered. um, Staying up late enough to kind of... I'm going to follow it and get it back up. Robert Rock's hair. I want to get that. You can have it. I'll give it to you. I love that, man. And I got to meet him at Wentworth this year. He's a lovely fella. That was Um, me. Did you profess your love to him? I said... I I may have said to Robbie that you are my favourite... To a player. <laughs> Why do you like him so much? I don't, he's just stylish. He's yeah, he's very, very stylish. stylish. No, he never is. wears the hat. Yeah, no, just, hat, yeah. no, no. Just, wears good vests. He wears good, like old-fashioned clothes. He um, he looks remarkably similar to a uh, one of my one of our friends back home um, at the golf club, Philly Darouche. Uh, so that was sort of why we uh, why we started a love for Robbie Rock, oh, and then it's just, it's just hung on. There you go. Um, D- Dave McNeely, when he used to cave for Nick Price, he would you know the bibs the caddies wear. Yeah. He would get a divot. When they were playing bankrupt fairs, he would get a divot on the range and put it in his caddy bib. Divot. Uh-huh. So Nick would get on the first hole, rip the hit the shot out, he would get the divot out of his caddy bib, put it in the put it in the divot, walk up, pick the divot up, put it in his caddy bib, go to the next hole. Never has to walk up the iron shot, divot out of it. <laughs> and he, he, he would go and I see how long backwards. he could go without having to go and actually get the divot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a good. Yeah, that is yeah, fantastic. He's a beauty. I've heard that. I've, that's a caddy uh, trick now, but I didn't know he started it. He started that. He's, that's he's, great. He's an absolute beauty. You can honestly, you could sit there and listen to Dave McNeely stories for about and, ten and, hours. He and Lorne Duncan, who caddied for me for a while. There was a it was a darkness delay in Phoenix one year, and he was came for Faldo, and Faldo had like an eight foot putt, and they they were staying in a caravan on the course, and they snuck out at night. And they putted this putt. They kept putting it. <laughs> to find the, and they came back out in the morning and, Nick, trust me, it's left lip. <laughs> and about five years later, we told him what he'd done and found it was like, you're what? <laughs> That's a fantastic yeah. one. Oh, yeah. oh, brilliant. He's, a, he's an absolute ripper. LPGA. Yeah. Um, Marina Alex puts together a super final round of win. Went past a few. Gave a couple of windburn on the way past. Um, Sue O, another, she had the bad third round, and Minji Lee had the bad final round. They both posted 77s, I think, mm-hmm. um, but on different days. Um, at various stages, Minji Lee looked like she was going to win the tournament. Like, looked like it was going to be her or Georgia Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, but Minji looked like she had her number for the first couple of days, but then just came from came out of nowhere. Like, she hasn't put around, I haven't gone back through her numbers, but she hasn't posted it. Around anything like that for no, it's, seemingly for months. It's yeah. been a long time. I don't think that that'd be the first one this year. You just yeah. you just got to let that go. I mean, she's still, you know, if you have a stinking round, oh, your worst incredible. of the year, and you have a top ten finish. Yeah, tells you exactly how well she's going. No, she's uh, she's, she's a machine yeah. right now. Yeah, dead set right. machine. And good to see Sue doing good stuff. Like she's you know she's playing well now, Clates. She's, she's you've, whatever you've done, well, whatever you yeah. your you and your people have done for her, yeah, you've got to go in the right well, direction. Yeah, she's playing well. She's yeah. up number two Australian on the world rankings again now. Okay. So she's gone past yeah. Catherine Kirk. Yep. Yeah. So, so I guess the Olympics thing is, when did that start? At the Open? Uh, yep, the just Olympics after the Open. Yeah, so she and Minji are kind of jumping a bit ahead in that already. I mean, mm. obviously a long way to go, but... Yeah, they, at yeah. the moment, they, yeah. they're going to back up and become our dual Olympians. So, But, you know, there's a long way to go, obviously. Yeah, they could, yeah, they could finish up playing four or five Olympics if they... You know, there's no if they keep the gr- if they keep, they keep the love going for the way it. they're going. It, yeah. it should be pretty cool to play that many if you could if you could. Well, they're the Australian. What's the big deal in the Olympics? Is four Olympics a lot for anyone? I suppose it is. Huge, oh, absolutely huge. Four Olympics yeah. is, who does four Olympics? Rowers and shooters don't. They? Is that uh, Lydia, Lydia, Lydia Lassell is the one oh, who's Phelps. Yeah. yeah, Lydia Lassell is the most recent mega Olympian. She's done five. Survivor. 
She's you do that, gymnast. you end up on Survivor. She no, she she <laughs> was she? a gymnast as a as a kid, but I, she's the aerial skier. Aerial skier, that's right. But yeah. if you do five Olympics, I mean, there's Roy Crofts and things that have done seven or more. But um, if you do five Olympics, you're an Australian legend. Where are the Olympics? Things. Tokyo. Tokyo, yeah. No mosquitoes there. No, Z- no Zika in Tokyo. No, that should be sweet then. Should be that should be a that'll be a good one there. Yeah, Golf of course. It's really good. I think everyone will play there, and it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. good in Rio, but it'll be great in Tokyo. This is yeah. a golf, golf, <laughs> golf city. Well, they, yeah. They're not building a course. No, they're playing Kasumi Kaseki, okay. which is next to Tokyo. Trees in the middle of the fairways. Yeah, no, I don't know, but ne- next to Tokyo Golf Club, where Gil Hans is working now, but no women members there, so that was the end of Tokyo That's Golf Club. Problem, so they're yeah. going next door to Kasumi Kaseki. Uh, last time we mentioned trees that have golf spirits in sure. Japan. They don't like cutting them down because they've got spirits in the trees. So you. Really? Yeah, they don't like cutting them down. They, well, they cut down the big tree at the back of the island, the Green Riviera, and they had the Shinto priests came out, and they, that was a big, it was a big deal to cut down trees. It was a very there. big deal to cut trees down in Japan. Yeah. Is this a nice segue? It, it is, because um, while we're in Japan, Andy, I've done the most extraordinary research this week on oh. your at your behest. Oh, with the Japanese? Yeah, good, because we generally go. Because there is, there's yeah, a good. fair income English version of the men's, but you wouldn't believe some of the, was it Chinglish? What are the, what, what are the words when Japanese and English is mixed, or? You know, there's hor- horrendous no. translations happening on yeah. this website. I've gone and fought um, Soup Sakahara and Poet Poetry and all these names to find Karis with a C, Davidson. Yeah. Now. And Karis Davidson, I can tell you, th- this is groundbreaking research today. I haven't been able to find a website all year. And Do you I know how to find the website? I know how to find it. Tommy Watson showed me how to find it. Well, I've got it now. I'm all over it. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm yeah. laughing J- at the names. And you go And he, he showed me what the symbol for the, the character for leaderboard is. <laughs> so you click on that, click on English, and it's all there. You barely write English, let alone Japanese, Clates. Uh She's 44th on the money list, having won an Australian equivalent of $215,000 this year, Karis Davidson. Um, a $6,000 check this week for finishing three under at the Golf 5 Ladies Pro, and now officially past Kari Webb in the uh, world rankings as well. So she's Brilliant. she's up to around 140th, roughly. Um, and just having a monumental season, first year out in Japan as a young young lady up there. I hope you're listening, Karis. We're really proud of you. Indeed. Uh, let's get a break our way because that was a very long first segment. The The reason that these two are here is because for so for, for thousands of us around planet, planet Earth, your dueling opinions and views on some of the fundamental issues involving the game have kept us entertained for many, many hours, no, no. far too many hours, we should, we should admit. We're going to bowl a few up and have a chat about it on the other side of this. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir... If your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. G'day, it's Nick O'Hearn here. Whenever I get the chance, I catch up with Inside the Ropes to follow up on all the latest golf, and I urge you all do the same. It's a great show. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. <laughs> it is Inside the Ropes. That's about the... Extent of our production budget <laughs> that Hazy will play the Rocky soundtrack out of his phone into his microphone. So we're having a bit of a laugh. But you two have been spirited um, bookends um, taking op- opposing views on a couple of the key issues uh, facing the game at the moment. 
Um, Clates, you're of, of a generation, and Lucas, you're of another and different generation. So it's a great opportunity, I reckon, for us to actually get in here, just to kick around for a few minutes a couple of these issues that do tend to divide um, opinion in the game of golf. So we've got three here. Who knows? We'll probably end up bowling a few others into the mix. Can I say, like, yeah, on. you know, we're going to, we obviously already have hung it on both of them, but I'm really grateful. Oh, I, mean, I think it's I, fantastic. This, the conversation is important. You know, it doesn't matter which side you're on. It's like what you've been saying about Peter Thompson, Clates. It's important to have an opinion oh. and have a discussion and, and get it out there rather than, you know, just be told what's right and what's wrong. Mm. You know, there are there are always different points of view, and I commend both of them for having and, them. And young young blokes, how old are you? 25. 22. 22. <laughs> 22-year-old blokes are supposed to think that 62-year-old blokes... How old no, are you? 61. 61. So 22-year-old blokes are supposed to think that 61-year-old blokes are obsolete and stupid yeah. and don't know what's going on. That's that's what you're supposed to think. So, yeah, this is kind of just a natural way of, um, you know, humans engaging with other humans. And then 22-year-olds supposed to grow up into 61-year-olds and go, shit, I didn't know anything when I was 22. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let the ball, the ball, you didn't even need to start at YouTube today because it's it's been running on Twitter over in the States again. 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 Yeah. Um, where... You know, a couple of the contemporaries, blokes who have been out there for a bit longer than you, Lucas, but Chris Kirk puts out a tweet saying, oh, the ball's going the same distance as it was going 10 years ago. I don't know what everyone's carrying on about. And then Billy Horschel gets on board and he starts weighing in. I've been saying this, thank God. Someone's finally saying what we've all been saying. And then it started to run again. (laughs) Who was the start? Chris Kirk was the start of it. I I stayed out. I couldn't be bothered. I don't want to start it Rod Murray had to go, yeah. Rod Murray had to go. Rod had to go, but... So, saying the ball's not going any further than it was that, yeah, well, everyone knows that. I mean, we were ranting about it. Nicholas was ranting about it. When the Pro-V came out, the Pro-V was the revolutionary change in golf. It was, you know, the, the, the distance jumped crazy amounts in a couple of years. And Tiger was the beneficiary of that, probably. That, uh, that 2000 was his... Was he still playing the title? I think he, was, he played the professional for a while. I guess when he turned pro, he was playing the professional. Anyway, anyway, the Pro V, I think everyone agrees the Pro V made a massive difference. Yeah. And then the graphite shafts and the, the frying pan drivers and <laughs> So you have now Norman was the one of the longest three. Davis Love, Greg, Andy Bean, nineteen eighty five, probably two just under two eighty. Mm-hmm. Now two eighties Zach Blair's the shortest on two, what, two seventy four? Mm-hmm. So Say Young Kim, who's the one of the longer hitters on the LPJs, two eighty. So I'm not thinking Say Young Kim's a better athlete than Green Norman. So clearly the equipment's made a massive difference to how far the ball goes. And you can argue the better athlete thing, or you can argue all that stuff, but So so do you want to respond to that or do you want to talk about why it's an issue? Uh, I actually, it's. I'll take an interesting stance here and agree mm. with Clates in a lot of ways. What? Um, we didn't pay for that. <laughs> uh, no, it gets misconstrued a lot of our arguments. I think. Um, I well, there's no argument that the ball goes a further now yeah. than what it did yep. in whenever you want to pre Pro V days. Pre-pro, yeah. So it's going, you know, Greg. So it's gone from 285 to Dustin Johnson's 215, 315. Mm. So it's what 30, 30 yards further over one shot. So over two shots on a par five, it's 50 yards probably. Um, yeah, there's, there's no like I don't think there's an argument there that the ball's like that's the ball is going further. That's that's just statistical. You can prove that. Um, I think 
where the argument between us two generally is is uh, around the golf course design. With obviously Clayton being an architect, me being a player, um, have opposing views there that can um, that obviously basically conflict a lot. Um, you know, I'll, we always want the courses well. I mean, generally you want the courses easier. You want to be able to score easier, and those guys are set up trying to build a course that's a fair test. And I can understand where, you know, if you're if you're designing a golf course where you want bunkers out there that like that's you've got to take on these bunkers, you know, bounce it, roll it past them to, you know, to get the benefit. And then all of a sudden, in twenty years' time, they're flying that bunker. I can see where the, um, where the problem is there architecturally. Um, so that's actually not really. A debate between us two. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it's in it's a it's an interesting kind of connection between the ball and what it does to golf courses, and another one of the debates that you two had post the PGA, because PGA it was wet and soft, and then you Lucas brought in Shinnecock being bouncy and fast. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the greens and the way that Shinnecock's set up now. It has to be set up like that, doesn't it, to protect the course against the ball. If the greens at Chinnacock are running at the speed that this and the course is playing at the kind of pace that it's supposed to play at, then it's going to be torn apart, isn't it? Well, isn't, it isn't that what's going to happen? It depends what you're trying to say in, in protecting a golf course because are you trying to do you, do you not want lower scores to win? I mean, we've just proven that the ball goes further. We've proven that technology's gotten better. Like, is it now? Do we like? We've, those have gotten better. That's a good question, actually. Those have gotten yeah. better, but we want the same scores winning each time. Like obviously, you've got to something's got to go wrong in the middle there. You know, there's got to we've got to make rough thicker, or we've got to make greens faster or firmer, or any like anything like that. So, what does protecting a golf course mean? That's actually but a I question. But that's the thing. I don't like as a pro. I don't care really if thirty under wins, as long as the golf course plays fair and and even for everyone. You know, the greens roll nicely for for the majority of the field. Um, you know, it doesn't get unfair when the wind gets up on Saturday. That, that a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, to me, it doesn't matter whether ten over wins or thirty under wins. It's as long as it's a fair test as a player. Anyway, I don't I don't know about an architectural sort of side standpoint of that. But um, protecting a golf course to me doesn't really mean a lot. On the USGA, the only ones who are trying to protect golf courses because they want even part of win. So they, I would argue, they distort the dimensions of the course. They grow the rough, they narrow the fairways, they speed the greens up to speeds they were never meant to be putted at in order to have 280 win the US Open. They often take one or two par fives and make them par fours, and so they're often par 70 courses. So they're trying to get par to win, whereas the Open Championship don't care what. They don't care what wins. Feldo, yeah. the Open at St. Andrews in 1990, Feldo shot 19 under because the weather was perfect. Daly comes back in 95 and shoots when he beat Campbell was, I don't know, four or five, six under, whatever it was. So the, the, the RNA let the conditions dictate what the scores are, whereas the USJ always manipulate the dimensions of a golf course to determine what the score is. But my issue is all of the great courses, not all the great courses, there's been a bunch of great courses built in the last 20 years, but nearly all the world's great courses got built between 1913, which was a national, and Augusta in 1933, before the Depression and... I put a stop to it. But so Mackenzie, Tillinghouse, Ross. Um, Harry Colt, you've got Harry to mention Colt, him. Yeah, Colt, um, Herbert Fowler, you know, all those Tom Simpson, all those great designers mm. built all the great courses that made the game great. The course, before that, golf design was about punishing bad shots. And those guys, Mackenzie especially, wrote about 
making the game. So you weren't just trying to punish bad shots. You were trying to more reward good shots because they, they figured bad players would punish themselves enough. So the game became much more strategic. They had wide fairways, they had different angles to play to the greens. The greens weren't crazy fast. And they spoke about the sort of test they thought a golf course should ask, including there should be a couple of two-shot par fours that were drives and, you know, tests of driving fairway woods. Well, now a test of a driving a fairway wood for a good player yeah. is a 600-yard hole. Yeah. So the test they thought and the test they set Stood up pretty well. P- post Hickory, pre Pro V One, so for, from nine thirty until two thousand, the golf courses they got a bit longer, and there was a whole bunch of golf courses that got obsoleted in nineteen thirty by steel shafts. All those Swindley Frost, all those six thousand yard courses were obsoleted by steel. They all got too short. But for the longest time, seven thousand yards was a long course, and those. Courses offered up the sort of test those guys would like to have seen. So when you go and watch Augusta and you watch hugely powerful guys like Seve and Nicholas and Watson and couples hitting two irons and three woods and so some of the shortest hitters, not sure, but Hubert Green and Halloween hitting three woods into 13 and 15 at Augusta, that was the test that Mackenzie wanted set there. Huh. And now it's been completely distorted by the ball. I don't care why the ball goes further. It, doesn't, it can be better athletes, better club. All, I don't care why it's going further. The fact is it's distorted completely the way the greatest architects ever wanted their courses to play. And that's what that's when I when I say protecting, I don't know about you, Hazy, but when I say protecting a golf course, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Hitting seven irons into those par fives that you've just spoken about for your second, is that is that good for is that good for the course? Is that good for the story? Is that good for the game? You know, is that, what's yeah, that good for? I think this is probably where the debate starts, really, mm. between us two. Is or more around, I think, how we stop the ball from going further, so that we're not hitting wedges into fifteen. Mm. Um, but I think there's still like there's still days at Augusta where you don't get it to fifteen and two. Um, it's it's like the the conditions play into it. If it's if it's wet, if it's into the wind, like God, there's a lot of guys don't make that green in two. Um, and I still think there's a lot of holes around that um, get made to look short because you get it one day downwind and it's in summer and a, a ball runs out and and then you hit a seven iron in and it's like, whoa, that's, this is this is ridiculous. And mm. I'm sort of, I'm going, no, it's not. Like, it's, it's still a hard enough hole. If you get, like, 20, year, 20 years ago, I think the PGA, like, they were starting to try and tiger-proof courses and Pom was stuck with having to hit it down the walkway because he couldn't hit it far enough. Yeah. And so, like, we either get one extreme of the guys are hitting it too far and we make courses longer, like, we make them longer, and then we've got the short hitters trying to hit it down the walkway to, to get it in play. Like, you sort of, you get one or the other and, like, which which is better? What's the answer? Well, you can't, I don't think, have a never-ending chase because the, the equipment manufacturers are not going to stop selling distance. Next year, Cameron, have you seen Cameron Champ play? Yeah, I've never seen him play. He comes out in the tour next year. He flies at three sixty. So next year, there's another. We, we've seen in my life. We saw, I saw, Norman come out when he was like, "Wow, this guy's." In, I mean, obviously Jack was already playing. So Greg came out and was like, "This guy's incredible." First time I saw Greg play, I was like, "We couldn't believe how far he hit it." Then the next guy out was probably Daly, and no one could believe that. Then Tiger came out, no one could believe that. Then there's Kepka and Johnson. Now Cameron Champs gonna come out. So it's at some point. I mean, Johnson last year played the US Tour. The first club he hit more than the 7-iron into a par 4 was in at Boston 
So this week last year, so what are we in September? Took him nine months to hit a more than the seven iron to a par four. So at some point, the dimension of the game is lost. It's, it's out of to me. It's out of scale. There are so many. I mean, there's so many holes we watch these guys hit driver wedge. So I play with Luke, you know, Lucas Michelle, good player. We played the last at Metro the other day. I mean, Greg was hitting, you know, seven iron. Billy Dunk hit a forward in there, won the Vic Open there one year in the win. But you know, yeah. it was a driving a seven or eight iron for Greg. Sometimes a six iron. Lucas hit ninety yards off the green, hundred yards off the green. Mm. So the fairway runs a little more. True, but you know, Lucas is not Greg Norman talent. But he, you know, and everyone hits the front. I mean, he, 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 so I went and played the amateur circuit in America this year. I said, played with one guy who was shorter than me. Everyone's longer than me. So, so it's a, it's a never ending chase. And the goal, you know, Augusta going by the ninth fairway at Augusta Country Club so they can move the 13th mm, tee back. But, mm. well, you know, we played at Royal Melbourne yesterday, the 12th tee at Royal Melbourne. I said to the guys playing, I said, you know, at Augusta, they're just walking to that guy. I said, there's a blank check, write it, you know, just write a number on it. And you buy his house and you move the tee back 50 yards. And the goal goes from being a, what's 12 at Royal Melbourne for you now? Drive a 9 probably? Par 5? I don't need drive it down that old, to be honest. Yeah, so it's 3-wood 9 iron. 3, yeah, 3-wood yeah. 8 iron. Three three, so it's a, there's a par 5 that was designed as a two-shot par 5 mm. with the carry across the heath where you played to the right. Now it's yep. a 3-wood and 9 iron. And even if you spend $4 million and buy the house behind the tee, it's only a drive a 7 iron. So you're not. So at some point, the test that Bobby Jones and Mackenzie and even Nicholas thought the game should examine the things that skills that they thought the game should examine are diminished by the fact that you it's where where is the driver three iron how do you make a driver three iron par four how do you make a driver three iron par five that's not that an amateur wants to play because it's 600 yards long and and can you keep you know then there's the water fertilizer money more land time it takes to play i mean golf was you know golf was People can it's too hard, it's too long, too too much. All that, all those things, you could argue you could solve it by dragging the ball back and playing six thousand yard courses. No one wants to do that, but golf at six thousand yards is a much better length for ninety percent of people who play it. And it, there are all the attendant problems of mm. water fertilizer cost, yeah. all yeah. all that. Trying to keep up with manufacturers who are to me no different from. Uh, this is not fair. We spent our childhood watching. Bill Peach on today's night interviewing cigarette company executives who denied there was any link between smoking and cancer. Mm. So anyone who's in the corporate business will do anything to defend their patch and maintain their profits. To, whether they believe it or not, is not, I mean, clearly the cigarette companies have since been proven. They knew they were lying. But Wally Udine's job is not to care about golf. It's to make a golf ball go further. Yeah, he wants his people job is to ball. make a ball. Yeah. Lucas Herbert can stay on the first at Royal yeah. Melbourne, hit the ball on the green. Yeah. That's his job. And at some point, that's like giving a child no boundaries at all. You have, at some point, someone's got to say, this first hole at Royal Melbourne is not meant to be driven. But Wally's desire, his dream is to make a ball that goes that far, that's legal that goes that far. Mm. That's what he wants to do. So is, the question is, is that good for golf or not? And it's not, we're going to keep seeing incredible athletes like Kepka and um, he, Cameron him. Champ and he whoever. Him. There are, there's, there's going to be a whole generation. There are a whole generation of kids that are 14 years old mm. with their teachers mm. who are watching books, kept it going. That's how you do that. Now mm. they know how to do it. Get in the gym, get big, get you know, max, max all that stuff out. Get your track man out, figure it out, and make the ball go further. The other thing, and, and then you, then you have to play with. You can't compete with that power. And golf up until this generation was all, it always gave the player who wasn't incredibly powerful a chance to compete. Yep. He was at a disadvantage. But if you were Gary Player and you had or Hale Irwin or Graham Marsh and you had 
skills other than if you could drive the ball straight and accurately, but you're a great iron player or a great bunker player or a great putter or whatever, you could compete with Nicholas. But now without great power, you, I don't think you can compete. So, so that's where the game's at. That's the debate the game's got to have. Mm. And I think, there's, I think I, my answer's right. You think your answer's right. So at some point, you've got to sit down and... At some point, I think the best thing that's going to happen is Cameron Champ does come out. And people finally start saying, this is crazy. Mm. When Jeff Shuckle, who we blogged with, we did a podcast with last week, was saying, because he's been banging on it more than anyone. And he said, finally, I've had some guys come and say, it's starting to make some sense. I'm starting to see what you're talking about. But, and the other, the other, just to Got finish up, some spare time yeah. here, Clayton. The other, if you take, they, the average guy in America, that's the don't take my 30 yards, don't take my guns. They think that if you're taking 30 <laughs> yards off Lucas, you're taking 30 yards off them. Well, no, you're taking, you know, I might, that, that's what, that's the experience the game is to have is if you take 30 yards off you, how much do I lose? I'm not going to lose 30 yards. I didn't pick anything up. I yeah. might lose 10 maybe and just go 10 yards forward in the tee. Because every golf club in the world has got rooms building back tees. So anyway, sorry, carry on. No, it's good. You done there, Clates? I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Rand I'm, over. I'm impressed by your just ability to hold your horses there. Well, I've been, I've been watching CNN with Chris Cromo and that Kellyanne Conway. I mean, they just scream over each other for... It's like, just will you shut up and let the other guy talk? So go ahead. <laughs> we're doing, compared with CNN, we're doing really well. Yeah. Can I take these headphones off? Yeah, of course yeah absolutely. <laughs> um... Oh yeah, well, there, I've, I started making a list in my head of things I want to say there, and I've capped out at ten. Um, <laughs> um, I would argue it's not necessarily about getting in the gym. I keep having this argument with Andy. I haven't been near a gym in probably two years to do any strength work. Um, I would say it's more. It's more. It's a skill that's taught from a young age. Like Dom, my coach. First thing he did when he picked me up at 13 or 14 was like teach me how to get speed. He could was because the main thing was hit it as far as you can. Once mm. you get to like once you get it out there, then you can start doing everything you need to do with TrackMan to and club fitting to get everything back on the straight and narrow. But you can't get speed once you turn 18 if you can't get the club head going quicker than you know 113. You're never going to get it yeah. much quicker. So I think which was how Jet Nichols was taught. Jack Grout told Jack Nicholas, swing as fast as you can, yeah. then we'll straighten it up. Yeah, so I think, obviously, Jack was a lot ahead of the game there. Um, and I think that's what everyone's starting to figure out now is it's just it's all club head speed. You've got to get that as quick as you can and then figure the rest out later. And I think, obviously, I would say technology's had more of an influence on technology advancement of something like TrackMan where we can actually work out right when we don't spin the ball ridiculous amounts because I mean I never watched Greg but from all reports basically all it was was 260 along the ground and then it just went straight up in the air yeah, for the last 20 yards he changed that he start, well, everyone started off doing that because we had to learn to play with the Ballada ball because we, we, we all grew up playing a small ball which just went like a bullet so when the Ballada ball came out it was a ball designed to be played in America with no wind and you were playing in wind so you put it back in your stance and get steep and the ball would like just do the aeroplane flight yeah. but Greg figured out how to get a better flight. But that's what everyone did for a while. Yeah, but I think once we worked out that take the spin out of it, hit it, take the spin out of it into the wind, hit it high, it's still going to, it still yeah. flies. And that's Which the, is that's the, the difference, name of the game. difference the ball, the Pro V versus the, you couldn't, you had a ball up in the air, it was, but with the new ball, absolutely, you just get it out there and 
no spinner out there. I mean, yeah, I didn't grow up in that era, but I would have loved to have known what we know now about what the ball does and to try and find a club that would match it better back, you know, back in the eighties that would be able to launch it high and not spin it and see how that worked. And of it, like, and mate, I'm, I was born in '95, so I don't, I don't know this, but I would have loved to have tried that. And I like swinging hickory clubs or swinging, you know, even uh, persimmon drivers. It's quite, it's a heavy head, mm. so it's just. That just spins the ball even more. Um, so, I, like my, I think technology advanced the game more by, you know, creating stuff like a TrackMan where we could optimize numbers rather than, I think, as a result of working out that oh, when we put a heap of spin on it, it doesn't go anywhere. Oh, we'll, we'll make a ball that doesn't spin. Yeah. I think that was kind of how that went. But that's kind of an irrelevant mm-hmm. chat. Technology still made the ball go further. Um, I think the hardest thing in all of this is working out how are you like personally I don't think you can I don't think you can shorten the ball because I just I just don't think it can work I think to get it like personally I think you should actually either limit the driver head or make the driver head talking to talking to telemade reps and, and that sort of thing like they're sending in drivers to get tested where there's obviously a maximum I guess like trampoline effect you yeah, can have in the middle of the face right? yeah. but they're getting this. They're getting sides of of club head to um to have that like to have a bigger effect. So that that's where the miss hits are, are getting better. Is obviously that yeah. you're losing ball speed, but you're gaining back a little bit from more of that trampoline effect on miss hits. So what they're trying to do is completely, well, as much as they can, de-skill the game, which oh, is their job is to de-skill the game, make the it, game as easy as I possible. I think is. that's the biggest change is that like you just don't how many like how many incidents like Vandervelt did you see? in the 80s and or 70s, 80s, 90s where guys would have a tournament and just lose it. You just don't see that anymore. Like no. guys, guys come down the last tied for the lead and they birdie the last. Or guys come down the last with a one-shot lead in a tough hole and, and they make an easy par. Just not like it's... It, obviously, the drivers are so forgiving now. Like even this, this twist face that I play, it's just a joke. Like you can hit drives that the crowd are just going like, oh... And you're like, I've like I've hit that in where it says twist face in the corner of the driver. <laughs> right. You can't get a worse strike than that. Yeah, yeah. So I like personally, I think in, if you're gonna <laughs> to limit this, you got to make you got to change the driver. And the reason I think this, if you if you want to do bifurcation where amateurs can still play the stuff that's longer or the stuff that's more forgiving, is because it's one club to change. So if you're talking about transition from guys that are playing college, guys that are playing amateur events into playing pro events, a guy like Stuart Haggs that I play with at the US Open, who's, he's not interested in turning pro. He's an, he's an accountant, you know, works in New York. He just loves going, you know, every year, plays a US amateur, plays the mid-am, plays a US Open qualifier. And that, that's his, like, that's all he wants to do. Yeah. Guys like that, it ruins the game if you're going to take, if you're going to change the ball because now they're like, they've got one ball for the whole bag. The, every, every shot is now different with a different ball. But you you change the driver heads, leave the irons, they can go as far as they want. But you change the driver heads and then that's that's one club. The guys that are playing college golf, they get invites into the big tournaments. It's one club they have to change. You're going to get a better... Like, guys are obviously going to adapt um, if they want to play in the pro game and, it, and they're not... Like, they're going to be able to play both drivers, a, a college driver, so they can keep their rankings and their, um, their scores still competitive in that era where they're getting you know, the attention they need to get invites into these pro events and they can also compete in these pro events because they it's it's less to adapt to when they you know, they play the NCAAs and then they go to the memorial next week the next week and they can adapt. 
it's not it's not as horrible. Um, I th- I just think the ball is like like everyone for everyone to change the ball. It's just it's too hard. I think on on amateurs. I mean the pros would get used to it, um, but the amateurs. I think it's just it's too hard on everyone, and especially. Do you, do you like fundamentally agree though that the way courses were designed to be played is no longer relevant for you? Not for me. They still are for me. But they so, don't. I mean, they don't play anywhere near the way that was under. I think. Lucas, I mean, it's not, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm asking him play, whether yeah, he believes yeah, that's if, fundamentally true. If Alice came back now, he'd go, "What the heck happened?" Oh, for, no, I'm not denying yeah, that. Yeah. I'm just I'm I'm intrigued in in Lucas's thoughts yeah. on the matter. Like, say, say, I know, for, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, in that, like. You look at holes and you're like, right, this hole was designed for a guy to hit a, a shot into here and then a shot into the green. But through statistics, <laughs> through obviously, you know, more forgiving technology, it's just it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you just bomb it down there in the left oh, right? Oh, yeah. And you've got a wedge in your hand rather than a six iron from back here where the designer wants you to hit it. But there's no reason why you wouldn't just hit it down the rough and have a wedge in because if you look at proximity to holes, strokes, gain stats, you're better off hitting it up there. Mm. No, I I, and I, I, under, I, th- I understand th- why I you do it. That's what I think. That's what you're trying to say. No, no, it's not because when when I stand, let's use four west at Royal Melbourne. So it's a famous par five dog leg to the right, up a mm. hill off the tee. You would have played there a thousand times. When I'm a chopper and Andy's the same, standing there hitting our drives, we've got to try and clear those bunkers that are up there. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh my god, if I don't ease back a little bit, I'm going to run out of fairway at the back. So our next shot is a you know it'll lay up or a really gutsy shot and go for the green try and curl one around from left to right. Yours is a nine iron. Uh, I don't think it's quite that bad. But, I think uh, the, the sticks might change. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, the way the course was designed was not to be hitting straight. But in all mid re- to short irons in. In all respect, Hazy, like I'm playing. I have this a different for opinion. A, I'm, I'm playing this for a living. I should I should be doing that. Yep. You're playing this for a for a hobby and for a laugh. Very much a laugh. So that's why they're at different levels. Like I don't expect to run the hundred meters in ten point five seconds and compete with the world's best. There's, I don't expect to do any sport, even closely or remotely, in the same ballpark as the best in the world. So, I, that's that's where I think the, the argument's slightly unfair. And that like you're saying, oh, these guys are hitting it so far. It's like, well, yeah, it's what we do. It's it's this is our living. We have to do that. Uh, uh, this is where I this is where I this is my juncture. I don't want you both to get offended. I don't want you to get... When no. will these conversations happen? I don't want your generation of players to get offended by anyone saying they hit it too far, they spend too much time in the gym, they're a different... They're all, it's not... It, because it sounds like people who are making these observations in the wrong ear, it sounds like we might sound like we're being critical. And I'm not being critical of you at all no or me. your generation of player. Yeah. If I could hit the ball like you... I would do exactly the same thing. Yeah. But yeah. What, what what the old blokes, like what we're talking about is um, preserving the golf course and asking you to play it the way that it was intended to be played. Because if, if, it, all, if it just stays the way it is or remains unchecked and goes on the way it is, what, what Clates is talking about is how do you build a golf? What do you do? You have to build different golf courses. Mm. You can't play. We can't play on the same golf courses that are built for you to play on. We we just can't. We'll never play on that. There'll be forget about there being a tour ball and a tour driver. There'll just be tour courses. Yeah. I, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Do, I know, so don't don't you please no, no, get no, offended no, by I us ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we don't have it. I mean, every course. Okay, for Curtis Luck in this round last year, it's a pitch and putt course. This train was a pitch. I was staggered how short and easy that course was. Mm. 
And every course in Australia is the same. That's a long, that's a longish course in Australia. Yet the thing about changing balls, though, where I have a problem, is that they'll all, everyone will go to Denver or Johannesburg or Kroll and adapt like that because they're playing at altitude. They'll figure it out in ten seconds. The ball goes ten percent. They'll work it out. When we played, we were you know we were switching from big balls to small balls. I mean, I, I won the amateur, Australian amateur. I was the only guy using a big ball in the whole field. So I figured I'm gonna be, if I'm going to be a pro, I'm going to play the big ball. So everyone else used a small ball, I used a big ball. So we, we were switching from week to week, from big to small ball. Mm. So, so I mean, that was harder than switching from a ball that's going 10% less, I think. Well, it, well, or it's the same because the big ball was 10% shorter than the small ball and the ball goes 10% further in Johannesburg. So no one complains about playing in Cron Johannesburg. So, well, this is great fun. The ball goes mm. further. It's mm. more that it's not... It's not an exact percentage. Even even going to altitude, it's not an exact percentage. If you look at, like, if you look at TrackMan numbers and and whatnot on the range, um, it's a similar sort of adjustment though. When you go to altitude, you're gonna, you're going to have to adjust to that as much as you're going to have to adjust from a Pro V one X ball to a Pro V one Y ball because that's but the ball a, you're all going to play now. If you're playing, you'll, so fi- the, you'll figure it out in 15 minutes. You'll figure it out. The guys that went to Mexico said that if they hit high spinny drivers, they were going about 13 percent further. If yeah. they hit high knuckle balls, they were going about seven percent further. So it's not actually an exact science of, right, we're at this altitude, so it goes yeah. this much further. But with a track I've, man, you can figure it out in no time. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, if I gave you a ball that went 10% shorter tomorrow, which I think is what should happen, then you would, within three days, you'd have figured it out. You'd have, you'd have stand on the ninth at Commonwealth and go, it's an 8 on 9 9 9 Yeah, the it's issue, not that complicated. The issue isn't that. The issue is how does it flight? How does it, like, what sort of conditions? Like, when you get a right to left wind, how does it perform? Yeah, but... But that's true. But, you know, I grew up, it's going back, I'm talking about, you know, we grew up, we went small ball to the big top flight, to the pro trades tightness. How many the, of it was to, forced changes? To the, well, well, the big to small, the small to big was forced. But then the DDH came out with a ball that didn't move in the crosswind. Mm. So that's why the one ball rule came in, because Bernard Langer would play a top flight into the wind, DDH in a crosswind, <laughs> a tightness downwind. <laughs> so he was adjusting to three balls in one round because that's they did different things. So players will figure it out. I mean, I mean, there's an example of players adjusting. There's one, you know, that's why, because Langer was using three balls in one round. And, and everyone you, who got into a big wind pulled the top flight out. You're saying Bernard Langer's on the edge of the rules? Like, no, no, well, no, it was perfectly with him. Everyone was, not everyone was doing it, but lots of guys were doing it. But if you got in the crosswind, just pull a DDH out because it was a much better ball in the crosswind. So <laughs> guys can adapt to they'll figure it out. But again, how what do you, do you say? To, what do you say? To all the great championship courses in Australia that were designed to test what they were designed. The first at Kingsnees was des- was a par five, and the so was the seventh. They were designed to test two long shots. Nicholas Thomas Peters drove Nicholas Colsatz eighty yards off the green at the World Cup, <laughs> and that's completely a complete distortion of one of the greatest courses in Australia, one of the greatest artists, what mm. they wanted that hole to do. Mm. It's completely the intent of what they what, wanted. What do you so so that- it comes down to how much respect you have for those guys who gave us the most important thing in the game. Players all come and go. We're all going to come and go as players. But the golf course is the one thing that endure. And if we, and we're only talking about championship players. We're not talking about the average player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the best course in the world were often designed for, they were designed to be championship courses. So we're in danger of doing what we did with Swinley Forest and obsoleting a whole nother lot of courses around the world. Obsolete in terms of how they were intended to play. And sure, Mackenzie might have seen the 18th that... Um, so the 17th of Kingston is a drive in a forward hole or Dan Suda who laid it out. But when Greg was playing, it, it was, he'd reduced it to a drive in a four or five or six high. Now, Thomas... John Rum drove it. He drove where he could see the green of the World Cup. I watched him do it. Mm. He could see the green. 
So, what do you, you say? Know, to, what do you we're say? We're completely to losing. Come on, what the greatest in players in intended. You're going CNN on us here. No, no, no. If it was CNN, <laughs> he'd be screaming over me. We are going to need to, as fascinating as this is, and I could listen to it for hours, we are going to need to kind of wrap this up in some I've got a question, one more of you, because Lucas is saying, you know, the, the ball is what it is, but he's saying, advocating for the, the driver to change. But I'm well, a, you know, uh, if, if you're going to do something, is that right? I don't want to put words in your but, mouth. But, but, but I mean, the manufacturers are arguing. They want the average amateur to play with the same ball the pro does. I think it's an even harder argument with Wally Uline or Chip Brewer at Callaway or the, the guy, the boss at TaylorMade who charged Envy Park for a driver. I think it's for a three wood. <laughs> I think it's a lot harder to have the argument with them that the amateur in the pro shop can't buy the same driver that Lucas Herbert's using or Tiger Woods is using. I think that's a much harder argument to win against mm. the manufacturers. They're going to, if they had to change something, they're going to argue on the side of the ball, not the, not the driver. Because they're going to say the the average player wants to play the same club that Tiger Woods does, even though he, of course he doesn't. But yeah, but if you wind if you wind Lucas's driver back, the the average hack club hacker like me. Well, can you wind are you winding the driver back, or, or are you just making the sweet spot smaller? What's you yeah, talk about? Because I mean, anytime you hit on the sweet spot, the thing's going to go like a rocket. Yeah, I you know, think it's just that now you, you can hit it all over the face now. Yeah, I think that's probably my argument. There is make the miss hits more punishing. Well, if I was a good player, that's what I don't understand. Uh, that's my conspiracy theory is that the, man, the manufacturers have bought the science of the play. I know they've bought the science of the play. Because I know Jeff, when Jeff's spoken about the ball, Ogilvy, when he's spoken about the ball, you know, yeah. no, Shay, we're not paying you to, you know. So if I was a good player, I'd be arguing that we should be going back and playing the most difficult equipment here. If I was Tiger Woods, I'm going back to Tom Stewart's hickory shafts because they're the hardest things to use. Yeah. You know, my, you know the, the more we've made... The equipment easier to play with. The ball goes, just spins less, goes straighter, bigger, longer drivers. Ball goes further. Hybrid clubs, sixty-four degree sand irons. The more you've brought more players into the top level because you've given them skills they wouldn't otherwise have with equipment that's more difficult to use. So if I was the, I'm not sure why the best players. Well, I know why they're not arguing because because their silence is bought. But if I was the best player, I'm, I'm, let's make. And Tiger wrote about it in the book with Lauren Rubenstein. You know, this is this needs to get. More realistic. This is crazy how far the ball's going, how much easier it is to play. If I was Tiger Woods, I'm saying, let's go back and make the equipment harder to use. So it's easier for the most skillful players to differentiate themselves above the average. What do you say to that, Lucas? Because I'm oh, sorry, Andy. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. Because I would have you in the upper echelon of ball striking. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? Um, Wouldn't that give you a better chance to win? Yeah, no, I I think you're right. But I, I think it sort of, yeah, it all comes back to like the miss hits just need to be punished harder. Because that's that's going to make guys think about pulling driver more. So you could argue the miss hits were punished harder with a ballada ball because in the wind it was much more difficult to use. It would if you miss hit it in the wind it would. Yeah, I just like I just think for the progression from professional to amateur game, for the, for everyone that's coming through is going to be a lot easier with it with a certain like they're not allowed to use a driver with whatever the restrictions they're going to be able to put on it, and it's not just going to be a number like they're going to have to put. Scientific, you know, these, um, you know, these sort of materials aren't allowed to be used. There's got to be this different thicknesses here, and it's going to be around that. So I would say, like personally, that's where I'd prefer to see the the difference in. Um, I don't know. I had some. Oh, um, I think though, it's, <laughs> and you'll hate this as you'll hate this sitting here, but, um, <laughs> no, what? 
I, I always come back to a course like Huntingdale, right? I've I, I've watched videos of it from the late 90s or when mm. Brad Hughes won the Masters, mm. and that thing was tight. You talk to any guys come well, out. I, that, I played there all. I played all of them, yeah. Mm. That course was tight. The way you control a golf ball is with spin. So, Well, we did, the way you control it around Huntingdale was with a one-eye. Yeah. So I mean, there were very few drivers there. So you rip out all the trees and you give it a chance to hit driver down a few of these holes. And now, and you do that to a majority of courses where you take out a lot of the trees, a lot of the punishment, feeding it off fairways. And now guys go, well, give me a driver that goes further. Give me a ball that goes further. Give me stuff that just, I don't care if it goes wide now because I've just taken out all the problems. But Hangdahl was, a, I mean, not that we pull out any entries at Hangdahl, but Hangdahl was, was an unbelievably narrow penal course. I mean, you didn't the tree you were. So it was a, defensive penal course to play. It wasn't that much fun to play. The Royal Melbourne was always wide and the scores were always pretty... The scores weren't any lower at Royal Melbourne, but Royal Melbourne always had huge amounts of space to play with. But yeah. you didn't play with a one-iron. Yeah, I think there's obviously courses like Royal are, are different that have always been like they are, but I think a lot of the tight golf courses where guys would just hit it around there with a one-iron and now there's, there's just no courses really like that anymore. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I can't. Kings maybe Nees not Delhi. that much. Kings Nees not. Well, that Delhi's kind of crazy. You come out ripped to shreds if you, <laughs> you're playing shorts and going to the thorn bushes. Cobras. And, yeah. But I mean, Kings Nees not any wide, any narrower, any wider than sorry, any any wider than it was forty years ago. We but, haven't Kings Nees no. But what's know, the it, penalty it, for missing a, fairways? Well, it's Rough. the same as it always was. Well, yeah, but um, see, I always, see, Greg Turner had a great argument about Conor Montgomery. He said, Monty's never understood his best chance. He always thought his best chance of winning a major was at US Open. That was his, he said, Monty was the best ball striker. And any time he put grass between the club and his ball, he took his advantage away. Well, Gusta was his best chance. He never thought it was because you're always hitting the ball. You're always putting the club on the ball. So rough can manip- make it harder and it rewards straight hitting, but it reduces everyone down to the same level. Depends on how Thick the rough is, and thick how the rough is. And but I mean, like that. I think our rough in Australia is great because it's flyer rough and it's patchy. Yeah. And you've got to do the mental mm. challenge of golf is dealing with the unfairness of someone getting a good line, someone getting a bad line. Whereas in America, that's sanitised to death, so everyone gets the same line. It's U.S. Open, it's gouge it out. And then what, what we saw last week at, on the web.com where you missed the green, you're just gouging it oh. out. So chipping in Australia is so much more fun than it. Yeah. Because you know, the, the greens are much more difficult because they're firm and bouncy. The ball, once it goes, goes off the green, it runs 20 yards away. Mm. I mean, you play the sixth at Royal Melbourne now. It, you've come off the front, it comes 30 yards back down the hill, same as the fifth. And so it's, it's a much more nuanced, clever game. It doesn't need long rough here. But we we're don't rough. have the length anymore either. So rough we've got short courses with no rough. So you know, the only defense is crazy hard, fast greens, which are distortions of the original. You know, so the slopes get distorted because they're so fast and... The clock, the clock. How long have we been going? Well, we, Five o'clock. We got last word on last word. <clears throat> I, just, well, I would just say that the penalties, there's no penalty for hitting it rough now. It costs you, if you look at strokes gain stats, it costs you about 0.25 of a shot if you're in the rough versus the fairway at the same distance. Yeah. So it's not, there's no, there's no penalty really for rough. And that, that's it. Unless, you, unless you're going to build chop out rough, like a US Open sort of rough, that's, there's no real penalty for hitting it in the rough. Um, obviously, it, it's going to be based different. You know, different pins are going to suit. There's no in. penalty because the greens are soft. One and you go, you're coming out of the rough with a nine on a five. If you're on the rough with a five iron. It's a lot different than if you're coming out of the rough with a with a wedge. Of course, it's easy with a wedge. It doesn't matter with a wedge. With a five iron, it's or a six iron. It's a lot tougher out of the rough. Mm. And and the, the perfect rough is flyer rough where you don't. Know, but you need a bit of wind and a bit of a hard green, and, and you need that. You know, you need that. Whereas America doesn't have fly rough like we do. This is multi-layered. Uh, it is complex. 
and it is fascinating. And uh, I'm sure Hazy and I have enjoyed sitting back listening to you two discuss the many uh, issues that are uh, confronting the game, and there's a thousand more that we haven't even touched on. Can we let this be Chapter 1? We'll yeah, come back to it yeah, some other good. stage. Yeah. It was well, nice of you to let me get a word in there. No, that was good. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as everyone thought they got their opinion. Yeah, we'll get a break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. Oh, good stuff. More. Good stuff, Herbert. Good stuff, Clayton. Back with a special guest after this. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Ropes podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. Welcome back to the show. A whole lot of other stuff we've got to knock our way through before we wrap this up. Um, you did tell us about a remarkable story regarding a lady by the name of Sue Worcester, which you need to tell more people about, and we're about to be joined by Sue. Yeah, um, Sue's just travelling the world winning golf tournaments. It's as simple it's as that, Andy. And then she's been doing it for... Well, more than a couple of years now. So it's quite incredible, the resume she's building. And maybe it's best if we let Sue actually tell the story. And she joins us online from Arizona. Welcome along, Sue. We're really grateful to have you on the line. How are you going? Oh, I'm we're cool. going really well, but not half as well as you are. No, no. It's been a, a big couple of weeks. Um, had a couple of wins in the last couple of weeks, back-to-back tournaments. So um, that was pretty cool because... Uh, it's hard to win in golf, and uh, having two wins in uh, the space of two weeks is um, pretty exciting. Well, I better fill everyone in while, in case they're wondering why they're listening to you. So Andy Sue has just come off a win at the North and South Amateur at Pinehurst, having uh-huh. played the famous courses there, including the number two. Uh, that's yep. the second time she's done that in five years. And then, Sue, you went up to uh, Ontario and defended successfully your Canadian Senior Amateur title in uh, in fine style, but... Had another couple of wins along the way in the same week, I believe. Uh, well, the uh, seniors run in conjunction with the mid amateur and the mid masters. So um, we play a three round stroke tournament, and obviously the, the mid amateur, the younger girls, twenty five and over to, to fifty, they can't participate in the seniors. So they, we have a separate event. So anyone is eligible who's uh, 25 and over to 50 to play in, in the mid-amateur, and so seniors can play in both events. How, how do you become eligible to play in these events, Sue? Well, normally with Golf Canada, you have to apply and then you'll get accepted after you send a resume in. But, um, uh, you know, obviously with my, you know, I've been playing over the States a bit and, and have, have some results, so... Um, that's how I got accepted in. Yeah, yeah, there was 150 women. There was 150 women in the event. I think it was their uh, biggest field so far in, since the event's been running. So um, you know they have a, you know they have women from the states and you know a lot of Canadians obviously playing in it. So and a few from different countries. Yeah. Sue's been pretty modest here, Andy. It, it cracking, sounds it to me. It cracking it field me, yeah. and and she uh, she beat um, by one stroke in the, her main event. They're senior Canadian amateur championship. Uh, a lady by the name of Hayward, is that right, Sue, who's a Hall of Fame member in, in Golf Canada? Yes, so, is. Marianne, yeah. 
Marion Hayward, she's an excellent player, and yeah, she's a member of the Hall of Fame, so she's no slouch. <laughs> so, Sue, throughout your golfing journey, we don't necessarily like to ask deeply personal questions on Inside the Race, but mm-hmm. you'd be 50-something? How, how old are you? I'm 56. So how long have you been winning golf tournaments for? How long have you been cruising around America and around the world just peeling off victories in golf tournaments? How long has this been going on for? About five years. I started my first USGA event. Was in, um, I played the mid-amateur and the seniors in when I was 51. I earned an exemption to those two events for my world ranking. I think I was ranked like 300 and something in the world. And I gained that lower ranking um, when I was playing some stuff in Australia against, you know, the younger girls because we don't have a lot of... We don't have many events in Australia, obviously, for women my age, not high-ranking events. So I gained that through those events and um, that was gave me an opportunity to go over there. I didn't have to qualify and uh, play in those two. And I just, I just loved it. You know, the USGA really are the experts at running tournaments and setting up courses to such a high standard. And I just thought, well, this is so much fun. I just want more of this, so, you know. I'm semi-retired, so it's a pretty good way to spend a few years travelling around (laughs) the world playing golf. So you obviously weren't watching the US Open on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) The girls... um, No, 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 the men's US Open at Shinnecock, where Lucas played, so Lucas can... Jump in and... <laughs> oh, yeah. That wasn't on Saturday. Did you say this Saturday? No, no. The US Open... That was, that yeah, no, the USGA setup of the US Open at Shinnecott wasn't exactly a shining moment, you would have to say. <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's always exceptions. <laughs> That's a very good answer. No, no. Well, you know, I've played in um, quite a few USGA events and, you know, they don't, they don't make it easy. They don't want low scores, obviously. Yeah. You know, that goes for all events. That goes for amateur events as well. Even in the senior events, you know, people might have this picture of us playing off ladies' tees, but it's certainly not like that. We, we do play off men's tees. Um, maybe not the longer men's tees, but, you know, the middle length tees. And, um, you know, we, it is a challenge. And um, I got to I got to play in the, uh, the inaugural U.S. Women's Senior Open this year at uh, the Chicago Golf Club. So and, uh, tell us about that, because that's a great course. Well. Oh, well, you know, as you know, it's um, a pretty exclusive club. Yep. It's pretty hard for anyone to get on there. And um, to have an event there for the ladies was such an honour. And uh, I was fortunate enough, I arrived a bit early into Chicago and I teed up a game with one of the members. And uh, it was it was quite surreal playing there, knowing the history of the place. And um, it was one of the five founding yeah. clubs, I think, for the, for the USGA. And uh, they really, the, the clubhouse is really untouched from when it was built. You know, they don't even have air conditioning in the clubhouse. Um, they don't really have a, 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 you know, a dining room. Well, they have a dining room, but, you know, like it's just, it's untouched from years ago and the locker rooms remain the same. And it's just a real traditional historic place and um, takes you back in time. But the course itself is fairly modern. I mean, it's been updated. I understand it over the years, but it was just a fabulous course for a US Open, and um, the women just had a great time. So it's um, Lucas here. It was lots of laughs and fun. Yep. Um, I'll open. 
I uh, I love that Chicago Golf Club. Got to play that a couple of years ago, and I would have loved to have yeah. played a tournament there. So I'm very jealous of you. Um, <laughs> I see the You're British sure. British Women's Senior Amateur coming up for you at uh, at yeah. Crail, and the Crail. US Women's Senior Amateur. Whereabouts is that? Uh, my internet sort of not That's died here before uh, I could do the research. That's at Orchard Country Club, I think Vero Beach in Florida. So I think it's just south of Orlando. Which, Vero uh, Beach, the home of Ivan Landel. Oh. Hey, you're a freak. <laughs> you're a freak. He might be out watching you. He might, he might, he might come out and watch you. <laughs> have you uh, have you played any golf in the UK before, Sue, or just over in the States? Uh, no, well, um, in lead up to the US Open this year, I thought I needed a bit of um, competition, you know, tournament practice. So I decided to head over to the UK um, and I played a couple of events. I played uh, the single trophy and the British amateur, but my form wasn't too hot. So which do, which do you fancy yourself? Do you fancy yourself more in the British Women's Senior Am or the uh, or the US Women's Senior Am? Well, the the US Am is the biggest, is the hardest event to win. So you I mean, you, know, you've you fancy yourself in the bigger event? Today. Sorry. You fancy yourself in the bigger event then? You like to step up to the plate? Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, no, I'm just I'm just saying, you know, like it's a match play tournament, really, two rounds of strike, a match play tournament, and you've got, I think, you know, top 64 qualifiers. So you need a little bit of luck, you know. You need um, things going well all week. You know, it's, it's a real marathon. But um, I'm up to the challenge. You know, I've played in it a few times. I think I've played five of them now. And um, I've qualified in every... Every event for match play, um, and haven't quite got the trophy yet, but you know I'm feeling good this year. We've got a vast audience on, on Inside the Ropes, Sue, and I know that it spreads across the Tasman. And I hope yeah. that, that some some of your uh, colleagues and competitors, I suppose, over there are listening because you've got a big match actually representing your country coming up too, haven't you? Yeah, that's exciting. Um, yes, the inaugural um, Trans Tasman Cup Challenge between New Zealand and Australia and there's six members from each team and it's all senior women golfers and uh, it's, it's, it's good that um, finally we've been recognised and we've been given our own event it's a Ryder right Cup style tournament we played at the Grange later in October so that's what exciting for us and um, hopefully we can get a bit of coverage for that as well. Oh, you'll get it here so don't worry about it, inside the ropes will be all over it um, <laughs> You live in, you live in, you are living the dream. Uh, I am living the dream. Yes. No, keep up the I'm good work. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's a major tear that you're on at the moment. Let's hope that it continues for some time to come. Thanks for telling us your story. Congrats Thanks, on everything that you've no been worries. through in the last Thanks, couple. Everyone. Yeah, no, it's an awesome story. Yeah. Thanks for joining Thanks. us. Appreciate it. Sue Worcester joining us on the show. What a fantastic story. Half her luck. We'll keep an eye on her. Um, right, we've all got our breath back after this, the, the, the uh, debate. From a few moments ago, uh, we got to get out of here, Hazy. What are we going to wrap it up with? We have. I'll, I'll be as quick as I can, Andy. Um, just a big shout to more Japanese things, which I didn't mention earlier. Brad Kennedy tied fourth. Brendan Jones tied sixth. Scott Strange, the forgotten man, tied mm. 25th. Wanjun Lee and Matt Griffin also banked checks up in Japan this week. Um, big shout to the girls at the Espirito Santo, the World Amateur Teams Championship. The Australian women finished 14th in the end. Uh, but a huge, I mean... Kirsty Hodgkins 
and um, also Grace Kim. A bit of a learning experience for them on that stage. Becky Kay, who's probably been there once or twice before, not at that level necessarily, but internationally. Tied sixth overall in the individual rankings. Fantastic. A huge achievement from her at Carton House there. And this week, the boys do battle. Defending the uh, title Australia won so beautifully in Mexico a couple of years ago. Min Woo Lee, Dave Michaluzzi and Shay Wolves-Cobb uh, teeing it up. And I uh, hope you're listening, boys. Good luck. Um, we're right behind you. Well, fellas. Here, here. We'll um, be talking about it next week. Um, Matt, Matt Cooch coming down for the Australian Open. Yeah, that's, which that's, is, you know, that's, that's great. great. Yeah. He's a very popular it's, guy. Yeah. And we'll hear a lot of, you know, Cooch is coming along the airwaves at the lakes. That'll be great. that. Um, no plates. trees at lakes. We chopped all the trees down there. So you play. You, you, well, I don't know. No, you have to, you have to play the lakes. You've played there, haven't you? Played there. Played an Aussie amateur there. Yeah, three. Yeah. Okay, so three, you, four you played years since ago. we did. Yeah. I like, I like it. It's good. But, you know, <laughs> no, no trees there. You have yeah. to reasonably windy out there from memory. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it can be. It can yeah. play there. And all um, our listeners can play there, Andy. Play nine. Golf.org.au. Play nine. You can play there yourself. Get to go do it. Get involved. Get involved. Clates, thanks. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Enjoyed it. Um, Lucas, good to see you. Thanks um, for letting me come on. No, no. Play well anytime, the next, mate. Play well yeah, bloody earth. We're all watching, mate. We're loving watching you yep. play. We really are. Um, <laughs> and talking about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great that you've come in here and, you know, sat next to Mr. CNN over there. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, mate. Thanks again, Hazy. Good on you, Hazy. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Uh, that's Inside the Ropes at 59 in the can. See you next week.